All right, let's go ahead and, and get started. And uh, let me begin us with a word of prayer. Dear Father in heaven, we thank you for revealing yourself to us in your son, Jesus, who is the word of God. And as we study your written word, we pray, Lord, that you would um, reveal to us more deeply um, your heart for us as we confess our sins. And even more importantly, as we receive your absolution, your forgiving word. Bless us and our time together, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we are continuing our study of the spiritual disciplines, and last week we looked at the uh, first discipline of what I call daily prayer, which is the discipline of just prayerfully ruminating on God's word, spending that time with God's word, and we looked at Psalm 1, and it has that great Hebrew word and image, Hagah. Now, Hagah is like what a cow does, chewing the cud, just... Oh, oh. The idea being that when we read God's word, um, we don't just read it like we're throwing it down like a high school kid at a pizza buffet, but instead we're really trying to take it in and, and savor it and allow it to suffuse our soul. Uh, and so we talked about that last week. And today we're going to get into the discipline of confession and in particular of, of individual confession and absolution, because I, I set this apart as a particular spiritual discipline because um, confession is part of our worship every week, what we call the corporate confession and absolution. And what I want to talk about today is the discipline of individual confession and absolution, um, which for some folks that has a lot of, of baggage. It's the kind of thing that you see it in movies where there's like the confessional and somebody confesses their sins to the priest. And then he's like, okay, do this X number of Hail Marys or, or this kind of thing, do penance. And that's very much not the, the spirit of what we're going to be talking about today. Rather, um, I want to submit to you that this can be a very um, liberating and life-giving spiritual discipline and that it has a very evangelical, which is to say gospel-infused spirit to it. Um, but we'll get there. First, I want to just uh, talk out uh, number one, and uh, Sarah, we've got more handouts, and Tara. Sorry. Um, I want to... These. Yep. We'll take all the Sarahs we can get. Sorry, it wasn't stapled, but I know it's just there. I'll leave the rest of them back here if anyone else wanders and just point them to that. Okay, but uh, what's interesting is how culturally, even while something like confession has fallen out of vogue, um, still people feel a need to confess. So number one on your handout, confession continues in cyber confines. What do I mean by that? There are all kinds of websites and apps that are springing up, which are essentially confession apps. And so here's an article, it's actually from a few years ago now on, on CNN. It starts out with some quotes from one of these apps. I admit that I secretly crave attention, so I lie that I have ulcers and that I've gotten surgery on my knees. I'm quitting in May and I will drive across the country. Sometimes I secretly wish that I would catch my BF, my boyfriend, cheating just so I'd have a legit reason to break up with him. So the sorts of things that people are posting onto websites anonymously, putting it into apps. And the article goes on, it says, these are just a few of the confidential posts on a growing number of social apps that encourage nameless users to post anonymous confessions, gripes, and gossip. These networks, which include Whisper, Secret, confide and the forthcoming rumor, make it possible to share thoughts anonymously with strangers, friends, or friends of friends. Now, why in the world would anybody do that? Why, why would folks take the time, 
log on to an app or onto a website and post anonymous secrets, confessions, et cetera. What do you think drives that? Okay, it could be you want attention. Although if you're doing it anonymously, but I think that there's probably part of that where even still, if you're getting likes or something like that, yeah. Guilt, yeah. Want to clear their conscience. We, they still have this burden, but maybe have lost some of the avenues to disburden themselves of it. So like, well, here's something where I can admit that I've been lying about my ulcers. So I can get out of things. Yeah, I, th I think that it's all of these things. And I find it fascinating that we can change outwardly the ways that we go about our life or the thing we can say, oh, we don't need these trappings of religion. Well, guess what? Still human nature has not changed. And the kind of urge still to confess, to clear our conscience, to unburden our hearts of, of the, the sins and the wrongdoings that are weighing on us, that's still there. That's still there. And so human nature being what it is, people will find some other outlet or avenue to do it, uh, which I find kind of sad. I find it sad because God has already appointed ways in which we are able to clear our conscience and to receive forgiveness greater than anything that we could get on some app as somebody saying, you know, heart, um, <laughs> we get the actual heart of God revealed in Christ Jesus. That's what we're going to talk about here when it comes to confession and absolution. So number two on your handout, the bottom of, of the first page, individual confession and absolution is the discipline of telling the truth about yourself and receiving personal forgiveness. The discipline of telling the truth about yourself and then receiving personal forgiveness. So two parts to it, right? And the first, when we talk about confession, sometimes that just sounds too churchly. At bottom, what it is, is telling the truth about ourselves. Where so often we want to, uh, you know, fudge for ourselves or justify ourselves, give some kind of explanation. We're really good at giving context to our own actions. Not as good when it comes to the actions of other people, <laughs> giving context to that, but in our own lives. Actually, if you uh, flip the page, I've got a quote here from a psychologist named Jonathan Haidt. I've mentioned him in, in sermons in the past. But he says that our moral thinking is much more like a politician searching for votes than a scientist searching for truth. What he means by that is, look, we are all of us constantly trying to find some excuse, some rationale, some way to uh, establish why we did what we did, rather than actually getting to the bottom of things and telling the truth about ourselves. And it's sort of like what I talked about in, this, in the sermon this morning about choosing to be confused, where in many cases, we know what the right answer is. We know why we did this or what the problem is but it's kind of troubling to face up to it sometimes. And so instead we search for ways to, uh, to justify it, to rationalize it, to explain it away. This is not a surprise to God or to the scriptures. Psalm 36 back on the, at the bottom of the first page says, transgression speaks to the wicked deep in his heart. There's no fear of God before his eyes for he flatters himself in his own eyes that his iniquity cannot be found out and hated. Isn't that a remarkable line? He flatters himself in his own eyes. You ever done that? <laughs> we flatter ourselves in our own eyes. Oh gosh, you know, I'm really not that bad. I mean, you know, yes, I did this thing, but honestly, who wouldn't have done that? Or our favorite move is always, at least I'm better than Jones because Jones, he's a real schmuck. But me, no, I would never do something like that. 
And in these and in countless other ways, we flatter ourselves in our own eyes rather than telling the truth about ourselves. But in doing that, the devil's deal that we do when we, we do that is we don't then receive the real power of forgiveness. And there's that um, story in the book of Samuel where, where David has his awful indiscretion, to put it mildly, where he commits adultery. And not only that, then he ends up uh, doing a murder to cover up for what he's done. If you want to read this long sordid story, it's in 2 Samuel chapter 11. But then after that, God sends the prophet Nathan to confront David about what he has done. And Nathan tells this cute little story about a man who had one little ewe lamb, who had just one little sheep. But then the neighboring guy who had all great big flocks, he saw the man with his one little ewe sheep and he said, oh, I want that one. And he goes and he takes the lamb. Nathan, you know, spins this yarn and David hearing the story, not realizing this story is about himself, is totally incensed. He says, that man must die. And then Nathan says, in a way that's not meant to be a compliment, you're the man. <laughs> David, you are the man that I'm telling the story about. In other words, you are the one who has committed this heinous sin, taking the one little you lamb, even though you are the king and the, you know, the whole world is your oyster. So then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. He tells the truth about himself. And Nathan said to David, the Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. So he receives that personal forgiveness. This is what individual confession absolution is really all about. You tell the truth about yourself, and in doing so, you're able to hear and to receive that personal forgiveness from God. Uh, and, and in fact, along those lines, Psalm 51, which is perhaps the most famous penitential psalm or psalm of confessing our sins, was written by David after he got busted here. Uh, have mercy on me, O God, have mercy on me. Um, that's David after he recognizes what he's done. And just as an aside, standing on the, side, um, the Psalms are such a great tool for this, and especially what are called the penitential Psalms. And I, I outline them uh, later in the Bible study here, but it's Psalm 6, 32, 38, 51, 102, 130, 143. Mm, how's that for you? Yeah. You'd think I've been doing a podcast on the Psalms for a year. Um, but uh, those are great Psalms when we do, when we are carrying these sorts of burdens to pray those and to, to hear those words for ourselves, way to give voice to that sense of guilt. All right. So then let's, let's unpack this a little bit further. Number three on your handout on the second page says absolution without confession is delusion. Absolution without confession is delusion. In other words, to receive forgiveness without ever actually taking responsibility and acknowledging that you were in the wrong is just kidding yourself. You're just, you're just fooling yourself if you think that that's going to avail uh, for you whatsoever. Um, listen to the words of 1 John, which are familiar from the liturgy. John writes, this is the message that we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Stern words there. 
But if we say that we haven't sinned, we are in effect calling God a liar because God's like, mm -hmm, yeah, you did. Yeah, you did. No, no, I didn't. You're calling God a liar. And as I've said before, in that case, you're just deceiving yourself, right? As I often quote my mom in this respect here, that once you can smell yourself, everybody else has been smelling you three days, right? We're always the last one to know about our own sins. Everybody else can say, oh, yeah, I knew that you were struggling with that. It was very clear to all the rest of us. You were the last one to realize that you've got a temper problem. That you're, you know, you're dealing with, with greed or lust, whatever it might be. Uh, because we lead ourselves astray. We delude ourselves, flat ourselves in our own eyes. And to receive forgiveness without actually taking that responsibility and acknowledging that, it just perpetuates the delusion. Does that make sense? Uh, it's a hard place to be. But I think when we, we turn to the scriptures, we see, yeah, we need to recognize we're just, we're just fooling ourselves with that. But the op opposite, the flip side, can be maybe even more devastating in terms of our soul. So number four on your handout, confession without absolution is bondage. So to, uh, to try and receive forgiveness without actually taking responsibility for our sins, we're just kidding ourselves. But on the flip side, to confess and not to receive forgiveness is bondage, is holding us captive. And here's where, oh, I don't have a soapbox, but I've got a step here. Uh, this, is, this is one of pastor's soapboxes right here. And I hear it in conversations all the time. It'll often happen in movies or in TV show that one of the characters will confess will say that, that they're sorry, that they've done something. It's just not cool in movies to say, I forgive. You almost never, ever hear it. You almost never hear the forgiveness. Maybe there will be some sign or symbol of reconciliation, but not the actual words, I forgive you. And just generally in our everyday speech, you'll hear folks, um, or maybe you'll have a conversation, say, hey, I'm sorry. I really messed that up. I, I apologize. And then how will folks respond? Or how do we respond sometimes? No biggie. Forget about it. Nah, no worries. Are any of those expressions of forgiveness? I would say no. No. And I wonder why that is, why people are afraid to actually say the words, I forgive you. I could give different responses to that. I don't know. Do you guys have any thoughts? Why is it that folks are sometimes reticent about actually saying those words, I forgive you? Or do you push back on that and say, no, I don't think we have a problem saying forgiveness. Because it was a big deal. And so to acknowledge that, it's, almost, it's like you're, you're telling the truth about something and that can, be, that can be kind of scary to do so. Yeah. Other thoughts on that? Yeah, Connie. Yes. We're afraid that you're going to keep doing whatever it is. And it's almost like, it's almost like um, when, you know, when we went to a hotel the other day and they said, uh, okay, do you want to close out your bill now or shall we keep an open tab for you? <laughs> it's almost like we're keeping the open tab. Like, hey, no big deal, but guess what? The juice is still running, right? And because I know you're going to do this again, and so I don't want to forgive you. Because just like Peter, we're like, so Lord, how many times do we actually need to forgive? Like seven times. That's like way, way too many probably, right? Jesus is like, oh, Peter, 70 times seven, right? In other words, unlimited. So I think that's part of it. Any other thoughts? 
Why is it that it's hard to actually say those words, I forgive you? Okay. So it, it might feel like you're putting yourself above them to say, I, I forgive you. And that can be an uncomfortable place to be. Yeah, I think that can be part of it as well. All of these things are different things that, that factor into it, I think. And, um, you know, just what Paul said about, you know, it's acknowledging, yeah, this was a big deal. This was, this was an issue. And uh, that can be hurtful. And that could be mean that there's more hard conversations. And sometimes we're like, you know what? I just don't want to deal with that. I'm just going to say, forget about it. Let's move on. But meanwhile, you're not really moving on in your heart. Now, to be fair, even if you do say, I forgive you, we, I mean, we're human beings. We can still be harboring it. But there's, some, there's real power and potency to actually saying, I forgive you. So, okay, then back to where I was going with this. Number four, confession without absolution is bondage. You're holding other people in bondage. You're holding yourself in bondage. Psalm 32, another one of these penitential psalms. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. David, who also wrote this psalm, is expressing that there is a physical um, experience to these spiritual decisions that if we are refusing to confess or we're not receiving forgiveness, and it says my bones wasted away. Have you ever experienced that? That sense of like, there's something that you, like we, say, we say you need to get it off your chest. Why do we say that? Because until you do, it feels like a weight on, you know, I mean, we use these kind of metaphors. There's something weighing on my shoulder, weighing on my heart. It's weighing me down. Until you're able to forgive or to receive forgiveness, it's going to dry up your strength, he says. It's a real bondage not to be able to have that kind of forgiveness. So then this is, this is our problem. Whether we are re receiving forgiveness without really confessing or we're confessing without receiving forgiveness, in either case, it ultimately kind of leads us to the same place of being stuck and mired in our sins or the sins of someone else rather than experiencing that true forgiveness, the true liberation that comes when we receive God's absolution for ourselves, or indeed, sometimes when we are able to absolve, forgive somebody else, rather than saying, hey, can I just carry your baggage all along with me too? Like, oh, that looks fun. I want to also carry that along. Like, no, that's not what God has desired or intended for you and me. And so a spiritual discipline to move past that place and to move to a place of freedom and of healing and of reconciliation is the spiritual discipline of individual confession and absolution. As I say at the top of page three, number five on your handout, it liberates the soul. And there's probably no more beautiful picture of this than in the famous parable of the prodigal son or the parable of the two sons or the parable of the prodigal father, as I've also heard it called. Uh, and you remember the story, right? The younger son who um, has utterly wronged his father by saying, in effect, I wish you were dead. Give me the inheritance right now. He takes his inheritance ahead of time, runs away, squanders it in loose living. That's what prodigal means. You know, it literally means being reckless, just reckless with all of his inheritance that he has received. 
And then he finds himself there, you know, sopping up the pig slop beside the swine. And he realizes, oh, wait a second, what am I doing? So it says, when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. Now notice this, that in his mind, he doesn't think that he's actually going to get forgiveness. He thinks that he's going to have to continue to live in indentured servitude, basically. That he is not worthy of a father's absolution. He's like, all right, fine. At least I'm going to have three square meals and a roof over my head. That's better than where I am right now. But he's thinking that he's going to be living in that place where, of confession without absolution. That that's the best that he can do. But instead, we get this response, the beautiful response from the father. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. See, the father just needs the slightest provocation to forgiveness. He sees the son. And even though the son is just coming back because, you know, he's got an empty stomach, father doesn't care. He's like, I'm forgiving him, right? I am going to give him this deluge of mercy. You know, slay the fattened calf. We're having a party. My dead son, he's not alive. And the, and the son's like, wait a second. I had this whole speech worked out. Can't you at least hear it out? And the father's like, I don't need your speech. I'm just glad that you're back. The father meets our most middling little bit of confession with more forgiveness than we could ever imagine. His anger lasts for a moment, but his favor lasts for a lifetime. I think that we ought to take that a lot more literally than we do. That this is the ratio of God's mercy. He's got that little bit of anger. It's there for a moment, but then boom, his favor is for a lifetime. This is the ratio of mercy, right? Yesterday, I had the boys mopping the floor Saturday, chore day, right? And we're going to do, uh, to, to mop the floor, we've got this soap where it's like one drop of it is going to incinerate your skin. You know, you have some of this stuff at your house or bleach. And so I'm ready. I was ready to just like put a cup of it in there with some water. Fortunately, I read the side where it said, <laughs> dilute, dilute, dilute with three, uh, all capital letters, three exclamation points. One little drop with like three gallons of water the ratio of mercy, right? One little drop of anger, but then the forgiveness and mercy to last a lifetime. That's, that's what God has for us. And so to confess our sins is to receive that life-giving forgiveness. It's true when we do it corporately, when we do it together as the people of God. But I guess what I'm arguing for you is that it's even more powerful and potent when we're able to do it in an individual and concrete kind of way. So number six on your handout gets at this point. The more concrete the confession, the more refreshing the forgiveness. The more concrete the confession, the more refreshing the forgiveness. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, as you know, one of my favorites, he says, mutual brotherly confession is given to us by God in order that we may be sure of divine forgiveness. But it is precisely for the sake of this certainty that confession should deal with concrete sins. And what Bonhoeffer is getting at here is not that if we don't enumerate or specifically identify all of the sins that we have done, be forgiven for them. That's not what he's saying. 
this was the the medieval issue and why Luther would spend eight hours a day in the confessional because they thought if I don't mention receive forgiveness for it. That's not what Bonhoeffer's talking about. Bonhoeffer's more talking about the sub subjective blessing and experience of forgiveness, which is to say that if we are really, if, if your heart is weighed down, name it and you don't, you don't own it specifically before God or even before another person then it's this, the, the devil still is going to weaponize it against us, see? Because Satan will always get into our ear and whisper things like, hey, wait a second, yeah, you said you were sorry in church, but what about that one thing that if other people knew about, then they were going, then, I mean, they're going to turn away from you. They'll kick you right out of church. If pastor knew about that, pastor's never met a sinner like you before. <laughs> Then, oh, what, what's going to happen? Satan always wants to use that. But what we do when we name these things is so suddenly we have defanged the devil because we're able to hear God's forgiveness for that specific thing. I'll give you a, an unlikely analogy uh, from the movie Eight Mile about Eminem, which I'm sure, Gordon, you were probably watching that the other day. Um, so you remember this. But uh, this was about like 20 years ago now, incredibly. But, you know, Eminem, he's the rapper from Detroit. I'm not uh, saying anything about his lifestyle or whether you should listen to his music even. But there is one powerful moment in the, in the movie where um, Eminem has had this, you know, he's got a terrible backstory and he's done all sorts of awful things. And he's going to get into this rap battle where it's him and the other guy. And the key in a rap battle is that you are going to shut up the other guy by bringing up their failures and all, all the ways that they are miserable and everybody's going, oh! What Eminem does, and when he gets to the rap battle, is he brings up all of his own junk. And he says, I'm sure you're going to mention this and you're going to name this and you're going to tell me about this. Yeah, I did it. Yeah, I'm guilty of that. Yeah, that's all true. And uh, he doesn't then go to the forgiveness of Jesus, unfortunately. That would be quite a movie. But to me, it's, it's and, but then, you know, the rest of the story is the other guy in the rap battle is just, he's stunned. He's silenced because he's like, he, all of his ammo has been taken away, right? When we confess, and especially when we confess concrete things, things that we actually feel bad about, like specific sins, suddenly Satan has to go away and we can just drop the mic. Be like, that's it, see, because we're able to receive that specific forgiveness. That makes sense? That's what Bonhoeffer's talking about here. So it's not that you're not forgiven of those things if you don't particularly name them, but if you really want to avail yourself of the full liberating power of forgiveness, you do. And you do it not only before God, but you do it, and here's the hard part, to another person. And uh, yeah, friends, that's tough. That's scary. Because it's like, now you're being vulnerable in a way that we don't like to be vulnerable. We like to say, oh yeah, I've, you know, I'm doing pretty good. Oh yeah, I'm a sinner in general, but I'm not a specific sinner. Somebody who actually does bad things, right? Uh, it can be scary, but that's where the real power of the gospel comes. Number seven on your handout, then continuing this theme. Absolution speaking the forgiveness of God, belongs to the priesthood of the baptized. This has been a gift that's entrusted to all of us. What I do up here in, in church on Sunday is say, 
you know, in the stead of, and by the command of my Lord Jesus, I forgive you. God has set me aside to do that particular job corporately, publicly for the whole church. But this power of the keys, as we call it, referring to Jesus saying, here are the keys to the kingdom. Those keys jangle beside each and every one of you. See, they are not the unique possession of pastor. They belong to every single one of you so that you are authorized by the king privately, individually to say in the stead of Jesus, I forgive you. Now, I've done Bible studies on this before, and when I say that, usually good Lutheran people are scandalized by that. They're like, wait a second. I thought only the pastor could do that. You know, he puts on the fancy cape and everything. He's the, he's the absolution man. Da, 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 da. And that's true. Publicly, that's, that's my vocation. That's why I'm called as a called and ordained servant of the word. And for just anyone and everyone to, to stand up here and do that in the corporate assembly would, uh, would not be appropriate because God has set aside pastors to do that. But privately and individually, this is, every Christian can and should exercise these keys, avail themselves of this privilege and responsibility. It's given to all of us. So it belongs to the priesthood of the baptized. God has especially given you your pastor for this purpose when it comes to the individual kind of thing. So listen to this, James 5. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Confess your sins to one another because you all possess that power of the keys. And also John chapter 20, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the day of the resurrection, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Okay, so this, this power of the keys is a power that is entrusted to the church. By the church, we mean pastor and people together. That this is an authority, a responsibility, a privilege that God has given to each and every one of you as individual Christians to authorize and to enact privately, individually, but that he gives to the pastor to do publicly and corporately. Um, now, the question is often raised here, well, so wait a second, does that mean we can kind of, um, with that last line, if you forgive the sins of any, they're forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it's withheld. Is Jesus saying that we can kind of, um, what would you say, kind of wrestle God down and say, wait a second, Lord, you might want to forgive this person, but I'm not ready to forgive him yet. And so, therefore, bah, their forgiveness is withheld. How do you like them apples? Um, that is not what Jesus is, is saying here. I mean, that would be really bizarre if that were the case. What he is saying is that he has um, authorized or deputized us, if you like, to speak his word of forgiveness and the, the law side of it to someone who persists in unrepentance also to speak God's judgment and to say, hey, listen, you, you are going down a bad road here, right? You are going down a slippery M22 toward a cliff and you are not trying to turn around or hit the brakes at all, right? Um, that's what he's talking about. And in that respect, insofar as we do that faithfully and in accordance with God's word, we, all we're doing is being a mouthpiece of God and God's in heaven saying, yep, that's right. That's right. Jane, you better listen to John. This is what he's talking about. Does that make sense? 
So, but we can't withhold forgiveness from somebody who is repentant, whom God is, is forgiven. Okay. Um, it's more that he has given us the opportunity and the authority to speak on his behalf insofar as our words line up with his words. All right. Let me pause there because that's, that's a lot there for any clarifications or, or questions or comments about what we've said there. Yeah, Gordon. Right. Yeah. Good point. So Gordon says, I started the, the story of the prodigal son, but what happened to the older brother? And this is, this is really good. So, I mean, it's a story of two sons and really, although we tend to focus on the younger son, it seems to be the case that Jesus's focus is on the older son. So the older son is emblematic of the Pharisees. This is who Jesus is telling the story to. And the Pharisees are the ones who are precisely like, mm, 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 mm. I don't want to confess. I don't want to acknowledge my own sinfulness or my own complicity in any of this. I'm just going to, you know, used to say every party needs a pooper. That's why we invited you. You know, I'm just going to be the party pooper over here. I hear your music over there and I don't like it. You know, I disapprove of this, right? Um, and in that way, you see how the older brother is trapped given, right? It's not fun. I mean, it really is a perfect picture of, of what it's like, where instead of going in and enjoying the party, he wants his own pity party. And the pity party is never as much fun as an actual party, right? It just isn't. And so if you find yourself there, like, I, I love my grudge. I like to feed my grudge. And I pet it and I nurture, aren't you so nice? Friends, you are hurting nobody but yourself when you do that. Click it off, get rid of it, come into the party, say, I forgive you, receive forgiveness, and life goes on, right? But it's just, it drives me crazy when I see it in myself, when I see it in others, just carrying these things. It's not God's desire for you. His desire is freedom, is liberation, is to come to the feast. Enjoy that. And one last thing on that, because I... Uh, you know, when it comes to that older brother, it'd be easy then for us to say, boy, that guy, what a jerk. I'm so glad he's not coming in the party. You know what? Just leave him. But the father entreats him repeatedly. He, do he doesn't, he loves him too. His anger lasts for a moment. His favor is for a lifetime. God loves the Pharisees more than we do. I tell you what, he keeps seeking him out. And so even if you feel like you've been that older brother, it's not that, oh, God like, really does like the younger brother better than you. No, he loves all of his children alike. And his word to all of us is come into the party. Good. Thank you, Gordon, for, for drawing our attention to that. Other thoughts or, or comments or questions about what we've talked about so far? Okay, well, then I want to get um, just kind of specific and practical um, with the rest of our time together here and talk about the actual practice of individual confession and absolution. Um, and there's a couple ways to think about it. One, we think about it just in terms of informally. Informally, what does this look like? It looks like um, you grabbing a, a friend or a brother and sister in Christ and say, hey, listen, I really have something weighing on my heart. Can I open up to you about it and be clear and explicit about this? And I'm not doing it just to get it off my chest, as we say, but I need you to speak God's grace to me. 
because Bonhoeffer also says this in Life Together, um, how exactly does he put it? Something to the effect of God's power in you is stronger than God's power in me. What he means by that is hearing the word of God, the, the grace of God, his forgiving word out of the mouth of another person is more powerful than just hearing it in our own heads. See, And so just in a kind of informal way, it could be just talking to a friend, talking to a, a spouse, even talking to a brother and sister in Christ and saying, hey, can I just share something with you that's really troubling my conscience and you speak God's word of forgiveness to me? Like, I hope that any of us, if somebody came to us and said that, say, absolutely. It's a privilege and responsibility that we has, have as members of the body of Christ. Um, but sometimes you don't feel comfortable going to another person, much less to the person specifically that you wrong. Um, but as a first step, you're like, I need to get this off, off my chest. Um, this is why God, again, has given pastors to be the person who uh, can hear forgiveness and then bury it. And I want to be clear about this. It's in my ordination vows that if you confess something to me, it never goes anywhere else. Pastors are Las Vegas, right? Embodied. What you say to the pastor stays with the pastor. And there's even been interesting things like legally, like if pastors are subpoenaed, brought to court, unless it's something like a, a, abuse sort of thing, where pastors are, um, Jill, what's the expression? Um, the reporters are like a mandatory, yeah, mandated re reporter, if it's something like that. But um, apart from that, it's like, this is going to the grave, right? Can you guys grab a hymnal? Do you see any hymnals in the pew in front of you or any, anywhere? Um, if you do, if you've got one handy there, Open up to page 292. And I just, I want to show this to you to know that such a thing actual, actually exists. Um, in our hymnal, we have a, uh, a right, a brief order of service for individual confession and absolution. Okay? So that if you, if you come to me say, Pastor, I, I would like to do individual confession and absolution. This is just, this is what we'll use. And it's not scary. It's not weird. It's not overly long, as you'll notice. Um, it says at the beginning, what are called the rubrics, the writing in red. You may prepare yourself by meditating on the Ten Commandments. You may also pray the penitential Psalms, which I mentioned before. And notice the second paragraph. If you're not burdened with particular sins, don't trouble yourself or, or search for or invent other sins. As interesting as that might be, you don't need to invent other sins. Pastor, I'm wanted in three states. Let me tell you why. No. Um, thereby turning confession into a torture. Instead, mention one or two sins that you know and let that be enough. And so you, you come in and come into my office. You've been in my office. We've, we've got a kneeler right there. You say, Pastor, please hear my confession and pronounce forgiveness in order to fulfill God's will proceed. Then there's a general confession there. And at the end of that, it says, if you wish to confess specific sins that trouble you, continue as follows. It might be that the first time or the first several times that you do this, you're not quite ready to do that yet. You're like, ah, I want to dip my toe in the water. I'm not ready to start going into the dark recesses of my soul just yet. That's fine. That's totally good. 
Or even it could be something like, Pastor, what burdens me especially is sins that I've committed against the fourth commandment, honoring my father and mother, right? Or the seventh commandment, you shall not steal. You don't have to get into the specific details. You know, you can just say, this is, this is what it is. Um, I mean, as we've said, it can be helpful to name those specific things, especially if they're really burdening you, but you don't have to. You say, what troubles me particularly is that dot, dot, dot. Um, and then you conclude by saying, I'm sorry for all of this and I ask for grace. I want to do better. God be merciful to you and strengthen your faith. Amen. And do you believe that my forgiveness is God's forgiveness? Yes. Let it be done for you as you believe. Then I place my hands on your head. I ruffle your hair up real quick. No. Uh, <laughs> I place my hands on your head. I put the yoke of the stole on your shoulders. There's something very tangible and beautiful about this. And pronounce God's forgiveness over you. In a way, it's like an inversion of that Old Testament action of the scapegoat, where all the sins were put onto the scapegoat. Literally, they would put their hands on it and then send it away. Now, it's all those sins are being taken off of you, lifted from your shoulders, and forgiveness. Um, so I speak that word of forgiveness, and oftentimes I'll say just other scriptures that are pertinent just to encourage you. And there's no penance. There's no, say, X number of Hail Marys or Lord's Prayer or do this or that thing. It's just forgiveness and you're free. Go in his peace. Um, this is Lutheran. When I think of this, uh, especially as a Roman Catholic practice, um, but this is, this is a, a Lutheran thing. In our Augsburg Confession, which was like our first big Lutheran confession of faith, it says, of confession, the Lutheran reformers teach that individual absolution ought to be retained in the churches. Although in confession, an enumeration of all sins isn't necessary. I said that before. For it's impossible, according to the psalm, who can understand his errors? In other words, you can't possibly name every single sin that you've done. That's not the point. The point is to receive that particular forgiveness. And Luther goes so far as to say, therefore, when I exhort you to go to individual confession, I'm doing nothing but exhorting you to be a Christian. <laughs> it's what Christians do. We confess our sins. We receive God's forgiveness can be a little bit scary, but I'm telling you, friends, this is a powerful spiritual discipline. So let me leave you with five ideas for practicing individual confession and absolution. One, this can be a, a good first step. During the corporate confession and worship, seek to recall at least one concrete sin for which you desire absolution. So whenever we do this, we say, I invite you to take a moment of reflection before the Lord. Don't just do that to, to think about what you're going to do with your afternoon. Use that to take a moment to think of what is something that's weighing on my heart. Just use that as a moment to say, what is one specific thing that I am sorry for? You know, something I said this week or, or did or a moment that troubles me. That would be one uh, first way to, to step toward this. Secondly, this week when someone says to you, I'm sorry, say, I forgive you. <laughs> Rather than no big deal or something like that. No worries. Say, hey, I forgive you. You'll probably stop them in their tracks. They'll be like, well, wait a second. What did you just say? I forgive you. I forgive you. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Third, arrive an extra 10 minutes or so early to worship, to meditate on the Ten Commandments, and to examine yourself. I don't mean like, oh, what's my weight and my blood pressure? But to examine yourself in terms of reading those Ten Commandments and pondering it. 
And, uh, as an added bonus, you can listen to the lovely prelude. So it starts about five minutes before the service. You take that in. It's meant to be a time of, of meditation and preparation, in addition to seeing our friends and being glad we're in church, but uh, to take some time to, to search our hearts. Along those lines, number four, read and reflect on the penitential psalms. You can even journal your own penitential prayers to God, which is to say your prayers of, of confession. This is especially appropriate during the season of Lent. Maybe you take one of these psalms each week. Maybe you watch like a little five-minute devotional on the psalms each week um, that helps to lead you into this. That would be really good if there was something like that. Just I'll think about that. Um, sorry. Um, and allow them to lead you into that place. And then finally, I mean, of course, take advantage of individual confession and absolution with pastor. Um, you know, this is the kind of thing. Set it up anytime. Shoot me an email. Give me a call. Pastor, you can even say, Pastor, I want to take you up on this. I'm going to try it out. I'm scared to death. I'm a little bit worried about it, but I want to try it. I'll say, okay, good. I'm going to give you the nth degree. It's going to be really hard. No, um, it will be my pleasure to do that. And, you know, I think, again, Lent as a, a natural time um, perhaps to do this, or when we come to Holy Week, um, that, that sort of thing. So think on that, all right? Um, and I, I forgot to quote the rule of thumb on number eight there. This is the rule of thumb when it comes to individual confession and absolution. I heard this from somebody else and I stole it. It's a confession against the seventh commandment there. Um, none must, some should, all may. None must, some should, all may. Speaking of this individual confession and absolution, nobody has to do it. It's not the kind of thing that if you don't do it, you know, then you're not a real Christian or you're not really forgiven or anything like that. No, that's not the case. Nobody has to do this. However, secondly, some should. Some should for their own, for the sake of their, the health of their own soul to, because they're carrying something that they really just need to get rid of, they should. But finally, all may. Anybody can do this and take advantage, avail themselves of this opportunity. And that's my encouragement to you. I'm not looking out at you guys or online and saying, I know there's some here who should. Uh, I'm looking to you at all as a, all, all may. And the, the doors and opportunities open, again, doesn't have to be with me be with with one another but i would encourage you to take advantage of this spiritual discipline thank you so much for your attention and participation today let me close this with a word of prayer dear father in heaven it is hard to tell the truth about ourselves it's much easier to flatter ourselves in our own eyes but we pray lord that through the convicting power of your word and spirit that we would take responsibility for our sins and also and even more so that we would receive and know to the deepest part of our beings, your forgiving love, Lord. We pray that it would wash over us this day and always for Jesus sake. Amen. Thanks very much, guys. We'll see you.